0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: Anticipate the general negative impact on the world economies. I mean, we can ship things to China, but they don't have people now to unload the ships.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Wednesday. It is Wednesday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell here flying solo today as Mike Pearson is heading down to Commodity Classic going to reiterate again in case any of you are flying down listening to the podcast. Mike is going to be there with the Zayner Group. If you're interested in getting in touch with him, you can find us on social media at AgNewsDaily. Hit him up. Maybe do an interview with him for the podcast. Tell him what's going on in your neck of the woods. All those things would be fantastic. If you're not heading down to Commodity Classic, well then stay tuned in with us this week. We'll be bringing you news from the Commodity Classic in case... You can't get down there yourself or just don't want to travel for another week in a row, as is my case. But we've got to talk about the world of news. I want to kick things off talking yet again about the coronavirus. This isn't really ag-related, but I have talked to quite a few people who had plans to go to Italy and now are saying because of the coronavirus spread, they are not... traveling there essentially. And so we're continuing to see the coronavirus impact many countries. Italy really has been now the second worst country impacted by this outbreak after China is of course still first in the lead there. But we're also continuing to see the coronavirus impacting the stock markets as well as the commodity markets due to the uncertainty about the future so we continue to see those headlining headlines dominating the news including of course the steepest two-day drop in the dow jones industrial average that we've seen over the four years here last four years which happened as of last week so again commodity markets having and and the stock markets having a major impact continued major impact because of the coronavirus i was reading something else that said you know what a lot of people are downplaying the coronavirus because of the lack of concern or the lack of support that shows that it is as bad as the common cold, but in reality they're saying long term we think that the coronavirus is going to have more of an impact than the common cold and a lot of agencies, news agencies, are downplaying that fact. So I'm no scientist, I really have no idea if this is going to be an an epidemic or a pandemic, as bad as SARS or some of those other ones out there, but I guess the argument is, hey, don't downplay what's going on right now. It really is a bad deal for global economies. So, we'll continue to watch that story. Not necessarily a pleasant one, but uh, definitely one impacting the business of agriculture. We also saw, as of yesterday, that the U.S.-China Phase 1 trade deal, they're ta- we're taking some Beginning steps to implementing that deal. China has, of course, signed some new protocols that lift imports as well as really essentially making it easier to bring in U.S. agricultural goods. But again, looking at the coronavirus, there are still some sectors of the U.S. government that are a little nervous because of the spread of the coronavirus and that it has stopped some port and factory operations but they are continuing to really push China hard to try and continue to import more and more goods. But because of the slowness of this US phase, U.S.-China Phase 1 trade deal, possible that we're going to see an MFP payment here into 2020. As we've mentioned on the podcast before, there are quite a few folks in the government doing some digging to see Were these MFP payments facilitated correctly? Were the numbers that were created logical? and just, and also fair for all of agriculture, and so we've just seen some fresh data released about the 2019 market facilitation payment programs and the disbursements that were received across the countries. It appears that the top three counties for payments happened in Texas, Arkansas, and California, where there, of course, are heavy heavy areas of cotton, soybeans, and milk, but there really were counties that benefited pretty significantly all across the Corn Belt and Northern Plains as well. But again, we don't know yet if a market facilitation payment program is coming in 2020 or not, but I think it's safe to say that it probably will be coming. In other news, as we know, President Trump is in India right now negotiating, meeting folks, meeting the Prime Minister there as well as his wife, And hopefully the topic of trade is one of their discussion points, but we're also seeing continued discussions between the EU and the UK. However, a little bit of news here on the EU-UK Brexit situation. The European Union has declared that it's ready to negotiate a trade agreement with the United Kingdom, specifically focusing on agriculture. We know that, of course, the EU and the UK did quite a bit of business together pre-Brexit, and so it appears now that the EU and UK are ready to negotiate again more of a free trade agreement between the two countries, kind of here in some post-Brexit information. The US is also eager, though, to do business with both of those two countries, and they're also eager to see the the British or the UK folks leave behind some precautionary principles that we've seen the UK really push, such as antibiotic free or glyphosate free, etc. And the US had said that they were eager once the UK left the EU because they assumed that the UK would be a little more forward thinking in allowing products like that into their marketplace. So they're a little concerned that perhaps by having some. UK-EU trade talks, the UK might actually uh, essentially backfall on that. But uh, interesting quote here from Greg Dowd. He said, we need to pry the UK away from the European Union. So, not sure exactly when those trade talks are going to start between the US and the UK. But he is speculating here that in a matter of a few weeks, we shall see that happen. However, I don't know. This is, again, me speculating, but to me it would make more sense. Or I could see the urgency come from the UK to negotiate a trade agreement with the EU first because, while they're not necessarily adjacent borders. They are much closer, probably a little more easy to get products to and from the EU than it is for the US. So again, that's just my speculation, but I think it it does make sense when you look at transportation and logistics and all of that concern. But I think that pretty much wraps us up for news for today. It's a little bit of a slower news day today. And folks are heading down to Commodity Classics, so of course uh, that takes away from having Mike on the podcast. But we do, of course, need to check out the commodity markets for today, which... I've had a little bit of a more calm day compared to some of the recent trading days that we have seen, trading sessions we've seen on the day, but I want you all to stay tuned for today's interview. Chatted with Mike Adams, fellow farm broadcaster. He's got a lot going on. He's got his ear to the ground even more than we do and has some of those headline news, news information such as the coronavirus, how that's impacting the business of agriculture, the world of agriculture. And we are going to get his opinion on all of those topics and more coming up here in just a little while. But as I promised, we've got to take a look at the commodity markets, and it was a little bit more of a calm day compared to some of the recent dumpster fires that we have seen in both the grain and livestock market. But we'll kick things off here first, checking out the grain markets. Mixed trade on the day today as the March corn contract closed down two cents to end at 370 and a half. The May closed down two cents as well to close at 374 and a half. In the soybean pits, strength today on the boards as the March contract added two cents to close at 881, while the May Closed up three and three quarters cents to end at 8.92 even. In the Wee pits, the March contract added a penny and a quarter to close at 5.40 and a quarter, while the May cut a penny and a quarter to close at 5.35 and three quarters. Hopping over to look into the livestock markets for today weakness in the live cattle complex but strength in the feeder cattle complex the february live cattle contract closed 95 cents lower to end at 114.07 and a half the april closed 60 cents lower to close at 112.35 in the feeder cattle pits the march contract up a dollar 10 on the day to close at 134.07 the april added a dollar 85 to close at 135.97 In the lean hog markets, the strength continues as the April contract added 47.5 cents to close at 65.15. The May up 20 cents to close at 72.17 and a half. And topping over into the dairy markets for today, the February class three milk futures closed two cents lower on the day to close at 1701. The March down eight cents to close at 1645. And of course, as promised, chatting with fellow farm broadcaster and veteran in the industry, Mike Adams for today's episode. Well, we are very excited to be joined by a fellow farm broadcaster today. He's a very familiar voice to many of you in agriculture, and that is Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture. Mike, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great. Good to talk with you.
0: We are very excited to have you, Mike. You are a veteran in the farm broadcasting field. For those of our listeners who haven't heard your voice before, tell us a little bit about your background.
1: You know, when when people start saying you're a veteran, that's a nice way of saying I'm getting old, I think. <laughs> so, um, so, so thanks for saying it oh, the way welcome. you did. Yes. Uh, uh, 46 years I've been in, in broadcasting now, and uh, very fortunate to have had basically three jobs in 46 years. Uh, 27 years at a local radio station in Jacksonville, Illinois. At 16 years hosting uh, the syndicated show Agritalk, and then now a couple of years uh, my own show called Adams on Agriculture, part of the American Ag Network. So I've been very fortunate uh, over the years uh, to uh, be able to um, meet a lot of wonderful people and travel around the world and talk agriculture and agricultural issues with uh, people all over the world. So uh, I've been very fortunate, very blessed, and uh, looking forward to more in the future.
2: Well, Mike, that's the thing. You are on the road a lot. You are connecting with growers every single day. And we've got so much happening in the world of agriculture. We continue to see wetness across so much of the Corn Belt. We've just come off a very challenging 2019. What are you hearing on the ground? How are growers anticipating 2020 to be? What are the initial thoughts as we look ahead into this growing season?
1: You know, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there's some hope and some optimism with the trade deals that were signed uh, with with USMCA and phase one of the China deal and certainly US-Japan, which looks like right now a very good deal, and hope for even some more coming. So I think with that, uh, some um, hope that the uh, waters of the US rule is going to be uh, much better in the new world than the, than the controversial 2015 rule. So those things gave some hope. That, though, I think is starting to give way a little bit to the concerns over the coronavirus situation and whether China will actually live up, even come close to living up to the uh, commitments in the phase one trade deal. There were concerns about that anyway. This adds to that. Uh, I think there are also now a lot of concerns about the wet weather that you alluded to. Weather was the big story last uh, year along with trade, but it uh, continues to be a story as we go into this spring planning time. It's looking more and more like we could have somewhat of a repeat of last year, maybe not the, uh, uh, the huge weather event maybe that we had last year, but because we're still wet from last year and a lot of those uh, areas that were flooded last year are still either flooded or close to it this year rivers are still high even normal even average precipitation this spring could cause a lot of flooding problems you know i think we just assumed that we turned the page on 2019 it would all be better in 2020 those prevent plant acres from last year will get planted this year i think a big question will some of how many of those will not get planted for a second year and how much of a challenge and issue will it be for farmers to get their crops planted this year? Now, there are some some brighter spots, I think, going into it. I, I live in west central Illinois. Much more fall field work got done last year in my area than the previous year. So actually, they're more ready to go when those windows open this spring than they were a year ago. So there are some positives there. But I think a lot of concerns about weather as we head into 2020's planning time.
0: Mike, there are a lot of issues that you we're just unpacking there and i want to unpack the coronavirus issue just a little bit further because we saw on friday president trump tweeted out that basically alluding that 2020 looks like there's going to be another market facilitation payment Mm -hmm. program year and we've been talking about it a lot on the podcast and just that the coronavirus will give them justification to have that 2020 market facilitation payment program what are your thoughts on on all that
1: well, I thought all along, because it was a presidential election year, that it would probably happen anyway. And to me, and Mike's heard me say this, I, I think that the uh, polling will determine whether or not uh, there's uh, another round of the MFP payments. Uh, if the, the election, if the race seems to be tightening up, president needs a boost, uh, you can expect it to come. But certainly the coronavirus situation uh, will be one to watch. I think it, it's growing instead of uh, lessening in, in severity. We're seeing more and more countries affected by it, more and more cases of it. And I think what people didn't uh, anticipate would the general negative impact on the world economies. I mean, we can ship things to China, but they don't have people now to unload the ships. And people are staying in, not going out and buying as much. I mean, the the we don't know how long this is going to go on and how long it will take the economies of the world to recover from it. So... Uh, Like I said earlier, there were questions whether China would live up to its commitments of the phase one trade deal anyway or how close they would even get to it. Uh, This does bring more uncertainty and I think more likelihood that we will see another round of MFP payments.
2: Well, now, Mike, you mentioned this might be—I have called it China's excuse to not follow through on their Phase One obligations—and we did see last week when uh, USDA did their outlook forum, they didn't have forty billion dollars in ag exports to China. I believe they had it at fourteen billion in ag exports. Does that, in your mind, signify the fact that perhaps the USDA doesn't even believe in the trade deal?
1: Well, I think it shows their concern for it, too. They won't want to admit it, obviously, but I think it does indicate the great uncertainty there. Now, on the other hand, as I've talked with uh, the National Pork Producers Council and others, they're pointing out that when we get past this, there's going to be an even greater demand for protein and for food in China and perhaps in some other countries. So the opportunities will be there. It just remains to be seen how quickly they make those purchases, how great those purchases are, and from Uh, How many different countries? African swine fever is still out there. And if it starts impacting the big pork producing areas of the European Union, which are big suppliers of pork into China, that impacts that too. How many choices or options does China have to buy food from? So I think there's still a lot of unknowns as this uh, uh, plays out through the rest of this year.
0: Mike, I'm going to pick on your quote-unquote veteran status again a little bit here, but you've (laughs) been in the news industry, the ag news industry, for quite a little while, and it seems like, you know, here over the last, I don't know, five, ten years, the media really drives the headlines, drives what's going on, but I mean, when you look at issues like the coronavirus or African swine fever, the media takes hold of them, both ag and non-ag, and takes hold of those headlines and just... Focuses on you know one or two issues for a long time, did it feel like that's how headlines played out, you know affecting the commodity markets and trade situations and otherwise, when you were towards the beginning of your career, how have you seen that really change and transform?
1: Well, I tell you i, I I've always said the ag media is the real media out there <laughs> and and I, I think for the most part, while even though we're obviously supporters of agriculture and advocates for agriculture. Uh, I think for the most part, we've tried to present information uh, to let our listeners and our viewers make better and informed decisions, not try to tell them what they should do, but try to inform them so they can make their own choices and decisions. What we've seen in the general media, the mainstream media, it, it's gone from a reporting of news to a reporting of opinion, and people are accepting the opinion as, as news. And I think that's a real concern. It used to be worried that the line between news and opinion was blurred. Well, now it's just been wiped out completely. There's hardly any line left there at all. The other big difference I've seen with the general media is now people just go to whatever outlet that supports their views, Uh, don't want to hear opposing views very much. So I think the ag media is one of the last places left in the media where you can hear both sides of a story and hear all sides of a story. But I I have to admit, as I've watched what's happened with social media and some things, I've noticed a little more uh, political influence into some of the ag media reporting as well. I think uh, it just kind of is bleeding over a little bit from what's going on with the mainstream media. There's so much division in the country and so many agendas at play. I think it's something we have to watch in the ag media here closely. Uh, to make sure that we're, we continue to show both sides and um, uh, report fairly and accurately and then let our listeners and viewers make their own choices and decisions. Uh, you know, I hope we can be that uh, that last firewall, if you will, before all uh, objective reporting is gone. I, I like to remind people that no matter how you feel politically, which party you may, may not be a part of or or, or – you know, believe in it. Just common sense tells me one side can't be right all the time, and one side can't be wrong all the time. I like to look for the best of both sides and see if we can find somewhere in the middle to bring them together and, and get the best outcome. So, I think uh, I think there have been some changes in ag reporting. Social media has a big part to play in that, but still, for the most part, you see the ag media doing a good job of presenting the facts and information out there that impacts our farmers and listeners' lives and operations.
2: Well, Mike, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Not everybody is right all of the time. That has never happened in history. It will never happen. Not everybody is wrong all the time. There there are good ideas on both sides. As you look ahead, especially given this is an election year, we've got debates going on right and left on the Democratic side. We've got President Trump, uh, you know, securing the nomination on the Republican side. There are going to be some hot-button topics. You mentioned WOTUS. We're going to get a new rule on WOTUS. We've continued to see ethanol stay in the news as the EPA has been – a little more free to grant the small refinery exemptions in the past few years than it has before. What are some of the other major issues that you think agriculture needs to be aware of as we head into this election cycle in earnest?
1: I think the big one's going to be the climate change debate. Uh, I hope we can move past arguing whether or not it's man-made or naturally occurring. Everyone can have their own feelings and thoughts on that. But what I think agriculture really needs to focus on, and I think they are. We're seeing the ag groups come together and form a sustainability coalition. The debate is going to go on, and policies are going to be made that will impact agriculture, and it's important for agriculture to have a voice at the table and to make sure that uh, those policymakers understand what agriculture is doing, that agriculture is a part of the solution. It's not part of the problem. Uh, agriculture is input into greenhouse gases and uh, climate change, uh, those concerns is very small, but agriculture is doing a lot. Now the question will be getting those policymakers to listen to what agriculture has to say and then uh, agree that agriculture is doing enough or is on the right track and willing to incentivize uh, ways to get to do even more rather than put – you know, mandated heavy handed federal government regulations on agriculture that will actually hurt our uh, productivity in this country and not really help the the climate situation at all. So I think that's that debate. That discussion is the big one moving forward. Agriculture has a great story to tell. Um, They've got to get really organized in telling it, be effective in telling it and get the right people to listen to it. Uh, because policies are going to be coming, whether we uh, agree or disagree on, on on the policies or what's the cause of uh, climate change or whatever, policies are going to be coming. So agriculture has to be very proactive in this
0: area. Absolutely, Mike. Before we let you go, we talked a little bit about you're on Adams on Agriculture. Tell our listeners how they can find your show.
1: Yeah, if you go to the American Ag Network's website, just go to AmericanAgNetwork.com and click on Adams on Agriculture, you'll see the The the, about 30 radio stations we're on in, I think, nine states right now. And you can also uh, um, click on about the podcast, get signed up for that. We're on uh, more and more people tell me they're listening on podcasts all the time. So uh, it's two years that the show's been on now. We're continuing to add stations to continue to grow. So you you can look on the website and see what stations, maybe one in your area. And, um, it, you know, I re- it's really enjoyable to do the show. We're heavy news content. We talk about these issues like we're talking about today. I like to get the decision makers, the policy makers on the air, the leaders of the ag groups, farmers themselves, uh, those in the media like uh, like you, you guys are doing, because uh, I like to – tap into those sources that our our colleagues in ag media have to see what they're covering and get into their reporters notebooks a little bit so that's a combination what we do and some commentary as well so it's a little bit of everything that we have there going and talking about the issues of the day impacting agriculture
0: absolutely there's something for everybody it sounds like mike adams thanks so much for joining us today
1: good to be with you both thank you very much
0: Well, that does it for another Ag News Daily interview. Thanks again to Mike for joining us on today's episode. But folks, if you are looking for other content, we've got a couple places for you to hit up to do so. Find us on Global Ag Network. There's tons of great podcasts there. There's also a new podcast that I've been working pretty closely with, the Spokesman Speaks podcast, which, yes, is put together by the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation, but this last episode that just released on Monday really does have a lot of good information, I think, applicable to all folks in agriculture, not just those of us living in Iowa. It's basically an extension of The Spokesman, which is, of course, the Iowa Farm Bureau's newspaper with the largest readership pretty much of any agricultural newspaper in Iowa. But this episode that we just released on Monday really is probably one of the most interesting interviews I've heard in quite some time featuring a couple different folks, but the one that really caught my ear was the interview done with Brett Scotto, who's the president and CEO of Aimpoint Research. He's a former armor intelligence officer, really interesting guy, got out of the army and put together a research company, and just recently did a study looking at the farmer of the future and characteristics of those farmers that are set up for long-term success as we continue to see consolidation going on in the ag industry. So we're working very hard to get Brett on our podcast as well. But in the meantime, I would really encourage you to check out the Spokesman Speaks podcast and listen at least to that interview that was done with Brett. Really interesting stuff. I think really insightful stuff, kind of scary stuff maybe for some of us in agriculture, but definitely looking ahead at the years to come. As I mentioned, though, of course, Global Ag Network has tons of great podcasting content as well as any episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast that you might have previously missed can be found all at globalagnetwork.com. As I'll mention again, Mike is down in San Antonio at the Commodity Classic. So folks, if you are going to be there this week or just want to connect with us in general, hit us up on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts. What are we covering? Too much of, not enough of, or just some interesting topics that you'd like us to do some digging into to cover on any upcoming episodes of the podcast. With that, I will let y'all go and we'll see you all right back here tomorrow.